So today we've come to the, the final, um, final message in the series that we've been doing, The Church, It's Life and Purpose. And I wanted to really uh, zero in for us today. We, we've mostly, I think, been talking about the life of the church. And so today I want to focus primarily on the purpose of the church. What, what is God's uh, intention for us as his people that he has uh, redeemed for himself. We are his people, but he's allowed us to remain in this world. What What is the purpose for that? And so we want to look at that. And of course, we're, we're tying so much of what we're talking about into our uh, thrust toward um, a community life ministry and just the encouragement toward more personal engagement. So we want to look at everything in that context. The passage that we read, um, John R.W. Stott commented on that passage, and I wanted to read his comment because I think it's very much the perspective that we want to have, and it's the, the uh, angle that we want to consider together today. But he said this. He said, according to the Apostle Peter... The church is both a royal priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices to God, which is worship, and a holy nation to spread abroad God's praises, which is witness. Every Christian congregation is called by God to be a worshiping, witnessing community. The church has a double identity. According to the first, the church is holy, called out to belong to God and to worship him. According to the second, the church is apostolic, sent out into the world on its mission. And so that's exactly the case. And that's what we want to consider today. We want to consider both the worship and the witness of the church. That's the, the twofold purpose uh, for the church in the world that um, we want to wrap our series up with today. So beginning, first of all, with worship. Now, when we even say the word worship, um, in, in our particular context, we usually immediately think of uh, what we've been doing up here for the past 15 or 20 minutes with the, the musicians. You know, we're all singing together. And, and we, in, in our culture, we call this, that, well, this is our time of worship. And of course, that can be and ought to be the case, but, but the word worship is, is so much broader than that. It's so much greater than that. As a matter of fact, I think there's only two times in the whole Bible where worship is linked with singing. Uh, the Bible speaks about singing, but usually uh, the majority of times when it's talking about singing, it, uh, praise is the, the word that connects it rather than worship, because worship is a broader thing. Now, if you think about worship, now, of course, if you just mention worship in general out in society, uh, people think of religion, um, people think of maybe some sort of a, uh, of a temple, um, maybe an ancient ritualistic system or something like that. Uh, and of course, in the New Testament period, uh, especially anybody with 
any familiarity with Judaism, if you mention worship, their minds would go back to the temple in Jerusalem, uh, to the priesthood, to the sacrificial system. All of that would be what would come to mind. But for believers from the very beginning, believers who were spread out all over the known world at the time, what, what did worship look like? Because there was no longer a geographical location that everybody was required to go to. There was no longer a formal priesthood. There was no longer any place where you went to offer a sacrifice. So what, what was worship now to be like? And we're told in a number of places of the New Testament what that looks like. And so worship, first of all, it begins on the personal level. Paul said in Romans 12, verse 1, he said, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. So worship begins with a presentation of our lives to the Lord. As we give ourselves over to God, as we continue to do that, as we offer up our lives to him, Lord, here's my life. My life doesn't belong to me. My life belongs to you. My, my whole being is committed to doing your will. That is worship. That is our spiritual act of worship. That's where it all begins. And so because the church is to be a worshiping church, that means that we, each one of us individually, we, we truly worship God by the surrendering of our lives to him. And of course, nobody can surrender your life for you. You have to surrender it yourself. But as you do that, that is your spiritual act of worship. But then the scripture also tells us about another uh, manifestation of worship for the church, and that is the offering up of sacrifices. But we do not offer up the sacrifices like they offered up during the, the Old Testament period, during the temple era. The animal sacrifices, the sacrifices that we offer are praise to God. And Hebrews chapter 13 puts it this way, that we offer up the sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So there is absolutely a place for uh, verbally worshiping the Lord and verbally uh, offering sacrifice, we, we do that as we praise him. So as we're giving thanks to his name, and this is where congregationally, as we gather together collectively, like we do um, often, as we are engaging in our hearts in the songs that we're singing, as we're, we're thinking through these things and we're seeking to uh, focus on the Lord and, and honor him and glorify him through uh, the lifting up of our praise. This God sees as a, uh, a sacrifice. He sees us as, as worship to him. So it's not just, you know, I mean, we can, we can be going through the motions with the music and not really paying attention to what we're doing, not really concentrating or focusing. And that's 
that's nothing. That's just, you know, sitting there lip syncing um, is what that would come down to. But if, but if our hearts are engaged in it, if we're giving real thought to, to what we're doing, that is, that's worship to God. God receives that. He's blessed by that. We're told to offer uh, that sacrifice of praise to him. But then there's also another reference to worship. And in the 16th verse of the 13th chapter of Hebrews, it says this, but do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices, God is well-pleased. So another way that we worship the Lord is by doing good and doing good in the name of Jesus, doing good because we're uh, motivated by our love for Jesus, doing good and sharing, being generous, being hospitable, being compassionate. So those are also ways of sacrificing to the Lord. And, and again, when you're talking about sacrificing, you're talking about worship. So the church is to be, first of all, a worshiping people. And we do that by, as I said, number one, offering our bodies. Secondly, collectively lifting our voices. And thirdly, reaching out and doing good. As, as we do that, God is glorified. Worship is, is really for the glory of God. Worship is really directed, of course, toward God, and it's something that, that he delights in. So we're called out of the world to, to worship him, to be set apart as his holy people, but then we are sent back into the world as his witness. And so this is the second purpose of the church, to show forth the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's how Peter describes witness here. So we're going out into the world, or we're, we're sending a message out into the world that is showing forth the praises of the one who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And the, the message that we're presenting through both our our behavior and our uh, verbal expression is a message that indicates that we have been brought out of darkness into this marvelous light in Christ. So the first thing when it comes to witness is brotherly love. Did you know that one of the ways God intends for the church to broadcast the good news to the world is by our love for one another, that we would love each other. And, and the message uh, of people who love one another, as, as that message spreads about, that becomes, uh, you know, that, beca that becomes a testimony to the reality of the gospel and who Jesus is. Jesus put it this way. He spoke to his immediate followers, the disciples um, there in the upper room. And he said this to them. He said, love one another as I have loved you. And then he said this, for by this, all will know that you are my disciples. 
So you see, in God's mind, the love that we have for one another, this is part of the message that is sent out into the world. The world has always and very much uh, so today desperately needs love, lacks love, uh, does not have the experience of love. God's intention is that the church be broadcasting out into the world this message of love, not just by saying, hey, uh, we love each other, you should love each other too, uh, but by demonstrating that we love each other. And, and this is why it's such an unfortunate thing and a tragic thing when love breaks down among the church. And sadly, much of the, the history of the church, uh, rather than being marked by a unique love that these people have for one another, uh, sadly, much of the history of the church has been marked by the opposite, a lot of division, a lot of um, hostility at times, um, contentions, and so forth. And, and all of this is a failure to send forth the, the proper witness. And, you know, we just see this way too often. This, you know, this Christian group doesn't like that Christian group, or this uh, pastor, you know, he doesn't like the pastor on the other side of town, or, or this denomination, you know, they, they don't like that denomination. And we talk about that, and we, we let that be known, and we voice our opinions, and the message that goes out is no different than the message that goes out in any other uh, segment of society. But the message that ought to be going out is, man, the church, this is a unique situation. This is a different place. Those people really love each other. And even when they have differences about things, they, they don't let that tear them apart. They, they work through those or they agree to disagree on certain things and they, and they move forward. That's the kind of message that God wants to send through us loving one another. In Galatians chapter six, Paul shows us some practical ways or gives us instruction on practical ways that we manifest this love. He said in chapter six, verse two of Galatians, he said this, he said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So bearing one another's burdens. Now, this takes us back to what we've been talking about in reference to this whole focus on um, more personal engagement and becoming more uh, a part of a, a living community of believers. Because, of course, to bear another's burden, in order to do that, you have to, you have to be near to the person. You can't bear another person's burden and remain at a distance, right? Somebody's carrying a load. In order to help uh, lift that load, you've got to come right alongside of them to do that. And so this is the picture, that we would bear one another's burdens, that we would be that close to other people that we could help them uh, with their struggles and with their challenges, and we could lighten that load. 
And we do that through many different things, depending on what the particular load is. I mean, sometimes it is, you know, kind of a physical thing where you come alongside and you physically help somebody. Other times it's an emotional thing and you come alongside and because of the experiences that you've had in your life, you're able to share uh, what you've learned and that lifts the burden off of them. Sometimes it's, it's primarily spiritual and you uh, give input into people's lives about things God has shown you and things God has done uh, in your life and, and that lifts the burden. But the, the point is mainly that in order to do this, we have got to get close to one another. We can't live at a distance from each other. We've got to connect. Uh, Paul says in doing this, we're going to fulfill the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is the law of love, loving one another. But then he also says a few verses later in Galatians 6, down in verse 10, he says, as we have opportunity. So he's speaking to the church. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all especially those who are of the household of faith. So doing good, what does that look like? Well, it just looks like all the things that we've been talking about as far as uh, just reaching out and, and helping and being a blessing and assisting and doing good. Doing good to who? Well, he says, especially to the household of faith. So again, this is part of the brotherly love. This is part of bearing one another's burdens as we do good for one uh, to one another. This is gonna be sending out the message. But then we're not to just do good to one another. Paul says here, as you have opportunity, do good to all. You know, there, there's been... Uh, for quite a period of time, there was an idea among not everybody in the church, but many in the church, there was uh, an idea that somehow crept in that, you know, we, we had a responsibility toward one another, but we didn't really have much of a responsibility to anybody outside, uh, with the exception of the responsibility, well, we got to get the gospel to them. But... Uh, many churches lost the, the idea that you would actually, you know, involve yourself with outsiders, so to speak, that you would involve yourself in the community unless it was directly with some Christian endeavor, you, you just didn't go out there. So it was kind of an isolationist mentality sort of the church over here, the world over there, and we're at odds with one another. And, you know, we just, we throw gospel missiles over there, you know, hoping that they'll hit the right people and they'll get saved. But, and, and you know, if there's some, some, you know, obviously Christian endeavor, we'll, we'll, we'll go outside to be involved in that. But, but that's about it. Well, pulses do good to all. That means that we go outside of the boundaries of our churches and we connect in our community as Christians, not with things that are um, necessarily Christian endeavors, meaning that it's not sponsored by a church or it's not Christian people that are maybe behind this effort to feed the poor or to help out 
with uh, the underprivileged or any number of different things, but that believers would come alongside and say, well, we're here to just do good. See, some, some people have the mistaken idea that, you know, if, if we're just doing good and we're not sharing the gospel, then we're failing. Well, you know, sometimes you have to just do good in order to gain the right to share the gospel, especially in much of our culture today. You know, people think, um, oh, you know, this Christian thing and the gospel and all of that, and uh, we've heard all of that. We don't want to hear it anymore. And so, you know, don't talk to us about that. That's the attitude of lots of people in the culture today because they think they, they've already got it all figured out. They know that all Christians are a bunch of hypocrites and so, you know, they, they obviously have nothing important to say. So subsequently, you go in and you say, hey, I'm a Christian and I'm here to tell you about Jesus. And they're like, oh, we don't want to hear it. But if you as a Christian, you go and you engage yourself in a particular endeavor to help, to do good, to benefit, they see your Christianity in action. And then at a certain point, they're like, wow, you know, you're different than I thought. Boy, you, you're, you know, you're really serious about this, and I can see you're really sincere. So, so you're a Christian, huh? Hmm. Yeah, maybe we could talk about that sometime. And, you know, as you're there, as you're just doing good in the community as a believer, that's a way that ultimately the gospel will go forward. Because inevitably, somebody's going to see that there's something distinct, there's something different, and the opportunity will come. But I think sometimes we are so anxious and we're so um, impatient sometimes. You know, if, if we don't get to witness somebody and lead them to the Lord in the first 10 minutes, then we're going to move on because, you know, this isn't, they're not open. Shake the dust off of our feet. We're out of here. But the early Christians didn't do that. And the most effective Christians don't do that. You see, as the opportunity arises, let us do good to all. You know, Jesus did good to all. And guess what? He did good to lots of people that in the end didn't really put their faith in him. Peter tells us that Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Think of all of those multitudes of people that came to Jesus, and he helped them, he blessed them, he touched them. But many of them, maybe even the majority of them, never really put their confidence in him as the Savior, those great crowds that followed him. We know at the end, of course, um, everybody had scattered, and when the resurrection took place and the gospel began to go out. There was a gathering in of people, but the point is Jesus did good, but he didn't worry about whether it was going to translate finally into a person's conversion. He did good just because he is good. And so we as believers we, we, sometimes we need to leave that other part to the Lord and just know that God calls us to do good. And as we do good, that is part of our witness. So part of the witness is, as I said, 
brotherly love and our love, our love for one another and our love that extends beyond our borders out to others as well. Secondly, as we're talking about witness, there is, of course, the proclamation of the message. And God has called us to be a worshiping and a witnessing community. And ultimately, the witness, of course, is to get the message out. And I'm not saying that we just do good things and never speak the message. We do those good things. All I'm saying is that we need to be more patient and realize that it might take a while before we get the, the, the privilege or we've earned the respect of people before we can begin to speak those things to them. I do not believe uh, the axiom that uh, ha- has uh, gone around attributed to different people, uh, you know, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Um, I, you can't preach the gospel without using words. But if you just use words and you don't have a life that shows the reality of the gospel, that will be counterproductive. So, so proclamation of the message. Now, we, and I, when I say we right now, I'm talking about us as a local congregation in a community as a church with a vision to reach out with the gospel, actually internationally, we've been doing this for decades. Um, But so we have a collective witness in the sense of proclamation of the gospel. We, We do that collectively as a church. We do that as a body. We're gonna sponsor events and do things that are going to promote the the uh, proclamation of the gospel. But then there's also the, the personal aspect of everything, the individual. And I wanna talk about both of those things. But first of all, let's talk about the church uh, reaching out into the community with the gospel. And we as a congregation and uh, me as the pastor and our pastoral team and our leadership of the church, our board, and all of that, you know, so God has given us the responsibility to seek him, to have the vision, to know uh, what his will is for us to do uh, certain things in, in regard to reaching out. And there are a number of things that we have really just committed ourselves to believing that these, at least for the time being, these are the things that God has called us to uh, reach out uh, to the community with the gospel, uh, with these things. And one of those, those things, a huge part of what we do is the radio ministry. And I think most everybody in the room is familiar with our radio station, K-Wave. And K-Wave is an, an amazing uh, instrument for the proclamation of the gospel, as you well know. It is just, it's such... Um, Wow. I mean, it, I, I think about it sometimes. I think, wow, I, I just can't believe we have this tool. It's just such a, 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 an amazing and astounding tool. I remember years and years and years ago when um, the station came up for uh, purchase, the signal. And I remember going with Pastor Chuck to that original meeting uh, which would lead finally to the purchase of the station. And there was a, just this little little station that was meeting in the Ramada Inn off, uh, off of the five down in San Clemente. And that was 
that was it. That was, that was K-Wave at the time. And as the Lord made that connection and opened that door and put it on uh, Pastor Chuck's heart and the board's heart to purchase that uh, station, you know, to take a step of faith and to see what God has done now after 30 years. It's just absolutely amazing. Did you know that every single week in the, in the L.A. region is where we're broadcasting them primarily, although we do broadcast in other locations, but in the L.A. region, every single week we have about 340,000 people tuning in to K-Wave. And 20, here's the amazing thing, 20 to 25% of them are unbelievers. So that just, that, that just amazes me. And I think, wow, you know, we've just got this 24-7 thing of the gospel going out with that many people. And many of them, of course, Christians. Uh, some of them, people who are believers, but they're struggling they're weak in their faith, so they're getting built up. But then to think of that audience there that's, that's not even, they're, they're, they're at this point, they're outside of a relationship with Christ, but they're, they're hearing the gospel. And so that's something that we are committed to as a ministry. We're also committed to going out into the community. We do many things here right at the church, of course, where we're seeking to reach out and people are bringing people in and so forth. But, but I'm talking about things where we're going out. So we have a commitment to the Good Friday and the Easter outreaches. We're doing them now at the Pacific Amphitheater down the road. Uh, you know, we've done them over the years, a little further down in um, Irvine, but uh, we've moved things up here. And that's a commitment that we have, that every, every Easter we want to get that word out so that people that might not normally come to a church would come to that event that's out there in the community. So we have the Good Friday and the Easter outreaches. We have the, the Beachside Summerfest that we continue to do uh, annually down on the north side of the pier in Huntington Beach. And we've seen over the years an amazing opportunity to just spend a day getting the gospel into the ears of several thousand people. And that is a blessing. And then, of course, uh, we have the Creation Fest outreaches as well. And although that's a more international thing, it's outside of our immediate location, but it's something that we're committed to because, again, thousands of people are being impacted and they're then taking their influence and they're spreading it throughout uh, Britain primarily, but uh, other places over into Europe and so forth. So, so these are the things that we do, and the reason we do them, this is what my main point is, really. The reason we do these things is because this is what the church does. This is what we're called to do. We're a worshiping, witnessing community. So, so this is a, a main part of our witness to the community. But then there's also the personal outreach. And the personal outreach, of course, comes down to every one of us individually. Now, I read this quote, and I want to share it with you because it's absolutely, it was true of the past, but it's actually the case presently as well. Listen to this. The explosive growth of the early church was in reality accomplished by means of informal missionaries. 
That is, ordinary Christians, not trained preachers and evangelists, carried on the mission of the church, not through formal preaching, but informal conversation. In homes and shops, on walks and around market stalls, they did it naturally and enthusiastically. That is exactly what happened. And I say that because I think a lot of times we, we think in terms of evangelism or we think in terms of outreach and we think in terms of events and we think in terms of a particular preacher that's going to deliver a message evangelistically and lots of people are going to come to Christ. And yes, we believe in those things and we do those things and we support those things. But the way most people in history come to Christ is they have personal contact with a Christian whose love, whose life, and whose testimony, and whose uh, communication about who God is has an impact on them. And so when we gather to study through the scriptures, whether it's on Sunday morning, whether it's on Wednesday night, or at whatever time, as we're going through God's word and as we're uh, growing in it and being strengthened by it, that is for the purpose of, of being personally built up in our faith, obviously, but it's also so that we can pass these truths on to others because that's what we do. That is the way the gospel goes forth. Individuals, personal conversation, naturally, enthusiastically, sharing your faith, showing love, having the testimony of transformation in your life. I mean, how many times has it been that uh, the case is somebody comes to faith, they might have even been a notorious sinner, they come to faith, they're still in the same context as far as their uh, community where they live or their job where they work, but all of a sudden people are faced with this transformed individual. Wow, what happened to this guy? I remember when I was young, I remember uh, seeing guys who would come to the Lord. And uh, I remember one guy very uh, clearly who was just, he was just as mean as mean could be. He was just a tough, tough guy. And, you know, he was a guy that you did not want to even look at, lest he think you were um, looking at him the wrong way. And looking at him in any way was looking at him the wrong way. And he was just going to smash your face in. And, and I remember when that guy came to Christ and he became this loving, gentle, gracious. And so you see that and you're like, okay, how did this happen to you? Wow. Tell me, tell me more about this Jesus thing. Wow. This is, this is amazing. I'll never forget. I, I shared this over the years, but I haven't shared it for a while. Um, I remember a couple of friends of mine, a couple of young surf guys, and these guys were, you know, you know, surfers are historically, you know, they're kind of dubious characters. And uh, when I was young, I'll tell you a quick side story here. When I was young, I got busted for smoking 
marijuana and was taken to jail and, of course, ended up in the court. And my mother, who just loves me so dearly and could never believe that her son would do anything like that, when we went to court and I had to appear before the judge, my mom was there and she wanted to speak up on my behalf. And so she says to the judge, she says, Judge, I just want you to know that my son is the sweetest boy. And you know, I, he just, I, I just think that, you know, this is all unfair. He's not like that at all. You know, my son is just a, he's just a young guy who loves to surf. And the judge looked at my mom and said, your son surfs? And she said, yes. And he said, well then, of course he's guilty. <laughs> so my mom thought she was doing me a favor. <laughs> and the judge had had many surfers before him, obviously. <laughs> so anyway, that was all background. <laughs> to tell you about these other two scoundrels <laughs> that were friends of mine. But they, you know, these, these guys were just, yeah, they were bad guys. And, uh, but they got saved. And man, their lives just turned around so powerfully. And, and a mutual friend of ours who did not come to the Lord, um, but he, at one, one time he came to me and he said, he said, hey, I gotta ask you. Now he knew that I had, I'd become a Christian uh, some years earlier. But he said, hey, I gotta ask you about these two guys. Man, what has happened to these guys? He just completely blown away. These guys were, I mean, they were basically criminals. He got, you know, what, what happened to them? They're, they're totally changed. And I just looked at him and I said, well, the truth of the matter is they've met the living God. And here's his response back to me. He said, he thought about it for a moment and he said, evidently so. <laughs> that was about the only explanation that he felt was legit. But that's what happens. And so that's what we do. We are a worshiping, witnessing community. Now, as we close today, let me remind you. So we've looked at the church as a community of believers. We've been talking about the necessity of, of living in life, uh, doing life together. We talked about the church as the body of Christ with many members, but all of the members have a function. We talked about the gifts of the Spirit and how those work uh, through the various members of the body for the, the building up and strengthening of the body of Christ. And now we've come to looking at the church's purpose. So our main point through this entire series has been as you remember, the need to engage. So if you walk away from these past five weeks and remain you know, somewhat disconnected, you come to church you know, once a week, twice a week, but you, you never go any further, any deeper, you never get any more involved, then you're entirely missing the point of this series. And not only the point of this series, you're entirely missing the, the message of the New Testament because it calls us to engagement. And know this, that unless you engage, the church will not function as it ought to because it can't without you. So there will be some deficiency in 
the ministry, the function of the church if you fail to get engaged. But not only will there be a deficiency in the in the overall church, but there will also be a negative impact in your life because God has designed it that you will function optimally when you are engaged. So once again, it's time to plug in, turn on and go forward with the Lord in the things of the Lord. And let me just say this, just finally, Listen, this, as I said this before, this is, this is our time. This is a, a moment for the church. It's a unique moment. I think everybody in this room who knows anything about recent history knows that these are different days that we're living in. They are different days. But because of that, it's a unique moment for the church. It's a unique opportunity for the church to reestablish in the culture that we are different. You see, the church's voice is to be distinct. And the problem often is that the church is mixing its voice with other voices in the culture, and so the distinctiveness of the church is being lost. And sometimes it's on the left, and sometimes it's on the right. But you see, the church is to be neither on the left or the right. The church is to be a different thing. It's to be a different voice. So we've got all of the craziness that's happening in our culture today. We've got all the madness that's going on through with our election, uh, the campaigning, and, and all the Stuff. I don't need to tell you. You know what, what it is. It's, it's crazy. Is there a voice of sanity? Not from the right or left. The voice of sanity in the culture is the church. That's the voice of reality. At least it should be. And so you see, this is a time where we've got to really be being what God intends us to be. We've got to be loving each other. And we've got to be bearing one another's burdens. And we've got to be seeking those opportunities to do good. And we have got to continue to proclaim that unique message of the necessity of the new birth and the transformation that comes not through taking on a list of moral uh, rules to follow, but by receiving the transforming power of God's grace into one's life. That's our message. And this is our time. And so may we, as a local expression of the church, and may the larger body of Christ throughout the nation and around the world, may we be who God intended us to be. May the, the life and the purpose of the church uh, really be manifested in our culture today. That's the only hope. That's the only difference uh, that's going to come. And it might not even translate into some great transformation of our national institutions or anything like that. It might translate simply into the conversion of great multitudes of people that need to be saved. But whenever 
large numbers of people come to faith, that inevitably always changes the culture to some degree because people who were formerly making a sinful contribution to the culture and dragging it into the pit uh, are no longer doing that. So it's our time, and may God help us. And finally, again, the, the way that you can ensure that we're not gonna miss this opportunity is you get engaged, get plugged in. Don't be content to just be a Sunday uh, morning worshiper. <coughs> Don't be content to just be uh, a receiver, but be a giver, be involved, get engaged, plug in, turn on and go forward. Lord, help us every one of us to take these things to heart. And Lord, we pray that we would just see a fresh moving of your spirit. And Lord, I pray for everyone that's here today, everyone that's hearing this message. Lord, that there would be a commitment on all of our parts to really engage with you and as members of your body to become functioning members of the body, that your body might uh, be at its optimum in its witness to the world today. And Lord, we know as we are a worshiping community and the more we yield our lives up to you, the more we express our praise to you, Lord, we know that that will also translate into us going forward with the gospel. So in Jesus' name, Lord, may all of these things be worked in our hearts and through our lives in your church by the Spirit. Amen.